Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. Today we have for you a brand new episode just come out from under the 60-day embargo period during which our participating newspapers have exclusive rights. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy the show. This story was first published on October 1st of 2023 under the headline, Oregon's Tiger King Became Idaho's Problem. Here we go. On the evening of September 28, 1995, Woni and Lori Peters of Lava Hot Springs, Idaho, were driving back to their home behind the local elementary school when they noticed that something wasn't right. The first thing they noticed was the horses. They were confined in a corral in front of the house next to the trampoline on which their teenage kids were playing. The kids seemed fine. The horses seemed Terrified, they kept staring up at the hillside that ran along behind the house and the school. Inside the house, Woni got up on the balcony for a better view of what was bothering the horses. In the distance, on the hillside, he saw something. A two-tone animal going through the trees, he recounted in an interview with Idaho Public Broadcasting. And I told Lori, I said, that there's an African lion in our backyard. Lori got on the phone and called 911. Woni got his hunting rifle out and started glassing the slope with his scope, looking for the 400-pound monster cat. And then it stepped out from behind a dead cedar tree, Woni said. And he was looking straight at me, and I was looking straight at him, and we were just eye to eye, and probably seemed like forever, but it was probably five minutes we eyeballed each other, and it was getting so dark. I told Lori to tell 911 I have to take the shot. Woni took the shot. The lion raced up the hillside out of view, then tumbled back down into view again. Dead. And thus ended the final episode in a drama that had started near Newport, Oregon nearly 30 years earlier and that today evokes memories of Tiger King, the Netflix series about rogue zookeeper Joe Exotic. You could think of it as the season finale of what was basically a three-season show. And what a finale it was. The lion Woni Peters shot was the last of 18 African lions killed after escaping from a ramshackle private zoo called Ligertown, owned by a pair of relative newcomers to the Lava Hot Springs community, Bob Fieber and Donnie Martin. By the time Peters shot the last one, it had been over a week since the giant predators had slipped out through the fence and fanned out across the landscape, terrifying everyone for miles around and causing the local schools to be closed for the protection of the children. Those children were back in school on the day that Peters shot that last lion, though. It was a Thursday. Presumably they had been playing in the schoolyard at recess just a few hours before. Presumably also the lion, which by that time had been at large for four or five days, was probably pretty hungry. All in all, this could have turned out a lot worse. Okay, season one of Oregon Tiger King started out decades earlier hundreds of miles away, when Robert Fieber bought a piece of country property near Siletz, just inland from Newport on the Oregon coast. That was in 1968. Three years later, Robert acquired an American bison, which apparently whetted his appetite for large and exotic animals. 
By the mid-1970s, he had added several African lions, a tiger, and a jaguar to his menagerie. At some point, he opened the place for tourists to visit, calling it Oregon Coast Safari. By 1978, he had nine lions, as well as numerous other exotic animals. But in May of that year, Robert was working with a very young lion named Muhammad, 15-month-old lion, outside of the family home. When he opened the front door, Muhammad darted in and raced upstairs and jumped on the bed in which Robert's 11-year-old son Micah was sleeping. Before Robert could get to the scene, Muhammad had bitten off Micah's left ear and otherwise slashed him up severely. Micah was raced to the nearest hospital in Toledo, and after two hours of surgery, he was presumably had his ear reattached during two hours of surgery, but he was at the end of this listed in serious but stable condition. Serious but stable is, that's more than just an ear lopped off. He was, he was hurt pretty badly in this. It is tempting to wonder now, with a tip of the hat to the Tiger King show, if Fieber might have said something like Joe Exotic's famous line, I am never going to financially recover from this. If you missed the episode, Joe spoke that line after a near-fatal accident in which one of his big cats ripped an employee's arm off. But if he didn't, he probably should have, Um, because the next time Fieber was arrested, part of his legal trouble was being behind on child support payments. So obviously by that time he was divorced and his wife had custody of Micah. Sources don't specify what caused the breakup of Fieber's marriage, but given how mothers usually react when their husbands let something like this happen to their babies as a result of their weird hobbies, it is tempting to speculate. Later that same year, Fieber's bison spooked and bolted and broke open one of the lion cages as it did, and five of Fieber's lions fanned out across the landscape doing some exploring. With the help of some neighbors and several sheriff's deputies, he actually managed to corral the runaways, but two of them actually ended up roaming the streets of Solettes before they were recovered. After that, over the following few years, there was a steady drumbeat of rumored sightings of lions and tigers wandering around loose in the area. It isn't clear whether these were real incidents or just rumors, because all the excitement of 1978 had kind of made Fieber locally notorious. And thus ends Season 1. Season 2 opens in 1984. By that year, Fieber had more than 75 animals, including several dozen lions and tigers and jaguars and wolves, and he had changed the name of his operation to Select's Game Ranch. But then in September of that year, law enforcement agencies and members of the Humane Society raided his compound. Police seized several of Fieber's animals and charged him with several counts of, can- of animal neglect saying that the facilities were inadequate and the beasts were not being properly fed. Fieber hotly denied that he was abusing, neglecting, or starving his animals, but he ended up accepting a deal that included pleading no contest to some of the charges. Um, And he was put on probation for five years, which would become important a year later in 1985, when Fieber reopened Solette's game ranch as a drive-thru zoo. The problem was... You need a license to run a drive through zoo, and he didn't bother to get one. So he was operating his zoo illegally, which was a probation violation. And at the resulting hearing, Fieber actually admitted that he didn't have enough money to care for all the animals properly. That was why he had reopened it as a drive through zoo, to try and raise some money. This was obviously a big problem from the state's perspective, and of course from the animal's perspective too. And also, a state inspector who had looked over the facility testified that the pens and fencing were inadequate. 
The inspector told the court that the fencing was bad enough to pose an actual security threat. The court also learned that Fieber had tried to slip away to a new piece of land beyond the county court's jurisdiction, which he had secretly leased in Wasco County. He had already installed 13 lions and a tiger at the new place. Police figured this out when they pulled him over for a traffic stop and found a pair of lions sitting in his truck. This was another probation violation. He had agreed not to move any of these animals. Finally, in 1986, the exasperated judge just simply ordered Fieber to sell the animals and close down the operation. The judge told him that, yes, the animals were in better condition, no, they no longer supported a charge of animal neglect, but the pens and fences were still super janky and posed an obvious risk to the neighbors, and the judge further explained that she was ordering the animals to be sold specifically to prevent Fieber from pulling a stunt like he had tried to pull in Wasco County simply folding his tent and slipping away and reopening his, reopening his slipshod operation somewhere else. But of course, that's exactly what he did. Metaphorically, if not literally, Bob Fieber slipped away to Idaho in the middle of the night, taking as many lions and tigers with him as he could. Hearing dates came and went, he failed to appear, warrants were issued for his arrest, but nobody could find him. He disappeared, leaving behind... 16 lions, three tigers, several wolves and bisons, along with a small herd of elk, which the state then had to find homes for. Okay, thus ends season two, leading us to the third and final season of Oregon Tiger King, the hopefully upcoming Netflix drama. I would so, I would watch that. I would love that. But anyway, this is the Ligertown part of the story, and this is the part of the story that is least germane to Oregon history because, of course, it happened in Idaho. By this time, 1990-ish, Fieber had remarried. And this time it seems he'd found a soulmate, someone as passionate about huge, dangerous apex predators as he was, a, a Bonnie for his Clyde, I guess you could say, her name was Dottie Martin, and with her, he launched a new project. He was going to breed ligers. Now, ligers are a hybrid cat, the offspring of a lion and a tigress, like uh, mules, the offspring of a horse and a donkey. Like mules, they are sterile. Unlike mules, they grow to about twice the size of either parent, topping out at or near the thousand-pound mark. A thousand pounds. That's a very large apex predator. Anyway, Fieber and Martin started on their Idaho adventure in Grangeville, in the Grangeville area at least, but one of their lions got out and started stalking a neighbor's horse. The neighbor got wise and shot the lion. Fieber and Martin apparently took this as a sign that they needed to move on. They had had bad things start happening in other places when lions got out and interacted with the neighbors, and this wasn't getting things off to a real good start. So they moved to Lava Hot Springs, where they found a place just outside of town that would work really well for them. A several-acre parcel along Fish Creek with a single wide trailer on it for them to live in and a few outbuildings around suitable for their lions and tigers and wolves and whatnot. No bears. They didn't go full Wizard of Oz on this. There were no bears. This place that they found was, by the way, a quarter of a mile from the local elementary school, and that was a detail that would become very important later on. So they bought this house with an unre this land rather with an unrecorded land sales contract, meaning that the sellers agreed to finance the sale and take monthly payments from Fieber and Martin, but would not record the arrangement with the county. Usually, when that is done, it is to hide the transfer of the property from a mortgage company that is holding the paper on the property. 
If it's recorded, they find out and call in the, uh, the mortgage. Pro tip for you real estate owners out there, <laughs> never do this. Never, ever, ever do this, especially if you're already carrying a mortgage on the property, which, yes, that was the case here. But I digress. Ligertown started out as 13 lions and one tiger. But, of course, the cats bred and produced more and more. Um, and soon there were lots more lions and several ligers, too. As the name of their zoo suggests, this was their goal. They wanted to breed a white liger. Soon the um, livestock outgrew the outbuildings available to house them. So, using old pallets and scrap lumber and scavenged fencing panels and some chicken wire, Fieber built an addition to house the overflow. And then another, and then another. And as his menagerie grew, this ramshackle warren of outbuildings grew as well. In Lava Hot Springs, Fieber was friendly and affable, but fiercely private. Nobody got invited to tour the facility, but most folks wouldn't have wanted to anyway. Within a year or two, the place looked like one of those Hoovervilles from the Great Depression, surrounded by a line of scavenged fencing of various types and quality levels. Here and there, the fence line was dotted with hand-painted signs expressing extreme libertarian and anti-authority sentiments. One of them read, Big Game Trophy Hunt! Open season on corrupt officials, police, game wardens, and fire chiefs! Prizes awarded for the biggest liar, thief, scalawag, and jerk, the ugliest, meanest, and most brutal. Sponsored by Ligertown Citizens Against Police Harassment, 1-800-BAG-A-PIG. Another sign read, Liger, a sovereign alien nation governed by E.T. and his alien pride, capital Ligertown. So from the outside, over the years, residents of Lava Hot Springs nervously watched Fieber's ramshackle, tumble-down Leonine Hooverville grow and expand, one load of pallets and chicken wire at a time. The roars were getting steadily louder, and the smell was getting worse and worse, a smell like a long-neglected cat litter box topped with rotting meat. Everyone pretty much knew that something was going to happen sooner or later. And then, near dusk on September 20th, 1995, something did. Lava Hot Springs Fire Chief Bruce Hansen was driving near his home when he saw a full-grown African lioness standing in the middle of the road. He raced back to town to the nearest telephone. It was 1995, so he didn't have a cell phone, and called 911. Then he grabbed his rifle, which apparently he had with him in his truck, and raced home to protect his livestock. When he got there, he found his mother-in-law, Lavena Long, out milking the goats. She had driven her car down to the goat pen and left the, the car door open, and there was a lion, a male this time, standing next to the car. Lavanna! Hansen shouted. And the lion spooked and ran straight at him, so of course he shot it. Shortly thereafter, another call came into the 911 dispatch center, this time from Robert Fieber. He needed help and quick. Sheriff's Deputy Lauren Nielsen, who had expected something like this to happen sooner or later, raced to the scene and found Fieber. He had tried to stop an escaping lion, which had slashed him up badly. Fieber was taken to the hospital. It was late evening by now, and darkness had long since fallen. There was an unknown number of apex predators out there prowling the hills around town, and they were probably hungry. Something had to be done. Fast. We didn't want to kill these animals, Nielsen told Idaho Public Broadcasting, but we had to protect the public. The biggest concern we had was school was starting in the morning. 
We had about four or five hours. It was a populated area, but we didn't know how many had gotten out. We really didn't even know how many animals he had. Police had a very busy night, and a rather terrifying night, too. Helicopters were brought in, heat-sensitive scanners. By morning, 15 more escaped lions had been spotted and shot. Then they had to go into Ligertown itself to secure the scene. Fieber in the hospital was in no condition to help with that, even if they'd wanted him to, and Dottie Martin seems to have been away at the time. The place was worse than they had feared. The zoo, it turned out, was little more than a maze of chicken wire, random sheets of metal, and haphazard boards nailed together in ways that didn't make structural sense, writes Idaho Falls Post-Register reporter Sally Krutzig in a 2020 article about the events of that night. Animal feces were piled five feet high in some places, and bones covered nearly every square foot. Also, three of the lions that had escaped from their pens had climbed up onto the roof and were now watching the rescue operators as they moved through the compound, calling to each other with low guttural growls. They could not be lured down, so the rescuers just had to keep an eye on them and hope they weren't hungry. Now that it was daytime and the situation was less terrifying, nobody wanted to kill any more lions. Police got out the tranquilizer gun that they'd gotten from Idaho Fish and Game, but the darts they had were dosed for cougars, which are a third the weight of an African lion, so they had to be shot with multiple darts. Soon, though, very soon, zoo specialists started arriving at the scene, and all 27 surviving lions. Actually, 27 of the 28 surviving lions at that time, there was still one lost in the woods, and that would be the one that Woney Peters would shoot four or five days later. Anyway, all the lions were on semi-trucks and on their way to other facilities. A large collection of wolf hybrids had to be rehomed from Ligertown, too. Well, after this disaster, there was no suggestion of Fieber ever being allowed to do anything like this again. He and Dottie Martin tried to come back and take charge of the animals. You know, hey, thanks for securing the scene. We'll get it from here. You know, we're the profession. Oh, no, 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 no. They were told that if they appeared on the scene, they would both be arrested and placed in jail and kept there as long as legally possible. So both of them were very bitter about the whole thing and raged in newspaper articles about what was being done to them and their animals had been murdered and it was unconstitutional government overreach. But, you know, in the wake of a security breach this big and after seeing what conditions were like in Ligertown, none of the authorities were willing to waste time listening. Fieber and Martin were brought up on more than 100 misdemeanor charges of animal cruelty. That was the closest prosecutors could get to throwing the book at them, apparently terrorizing the entire town and endangering its elementary school children at recess with wild beasts of prey were not at the time criminal offenses. <laughs> Rough maybe they are now, I don't know. Roughly a dozen of these charges actually stuck and resulted in convictions, but the two of them went full Bonnie and Clyde, skipping town and fleeing the state while the case was on appeal. Authorities decided not to bother with the trouble and expense of having them extradited back to the state to face a handful of misdemeanor charges, so they more or less got away clean. As for Ligertown, the animals were taken in by various more reputable zoos and refuges around the country, and the following year, authorities bulldozed the whole ramshackle mess into a heap and put a torch to it. Meanwhile, the owners of the property who I remember had sold it to Fieber and Martin on a land sales contract, which the two gitterdun zookeepers had stopped making their payments on shortly after making the arrangement, well, they found themselves unable to keep up their mortgage, and the property was foreclosed by the bank. Today, unless you know exactly where to look, there is no remaining sign that Ligertown ever existed. But 
If you go into one of the nearby pubs and bars, chances are pretty good that you'll be offered a chance to buy a pint of beer brewed by local craft brewery Portneuf Valley Brewing called Ligertown Lager. That and a heavily strengthened set of laws and regulations on exotic animals are the only remaining legacy of Ligertown today. Key sources in this story included works by Sally Krutzig, Idaho Public Broadcasting, and Oregon Coast Beach Connection. That's our show for today. Thanks again for listening, and I sure hope you enjoyed it. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. Check out our hub page at offbeatoregon.com to explore all the other things we do or to find the full citations and visuals that go with today's show. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatoregon.com cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. I recommend their album, Strong Shoulders. Offbeat Oregon History episodes come out once per weekday, usually around 6 a.m., so it won't be long before the next episode is on your device and ready for you to queue up and enjoy. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day and the weekend with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.